When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode one. Insert Yay, Jasmine's here. So exciting. So exciting. I'm so, so <laughs> excited. Record- I know. So excited. Um, and we're recording on May 30th. I'm Jen Worthington, I'm, and I'm here with Sharifa Williams, and I'm so excited I can't talk, and we're coming to you <laughs> from Book Riot. <laughs> it's it's kind of unreal being able to I talk know. about like fantasy and sci-fi yes. for work. Basically, it's, it's like cool. actually having part of your job be to express your feelings about your favorite genres, the dream, right? Yeah, like childhood <laughs> me, I could never have thought this was, that this would happen. Like childhood me could never have thought that this was going to be a reality. Yeah. So yeah, I couldn't even have. Dreamed right, of this right. Podcast did not really exist when we were children. So. Yeah, yeah, that is true. It did not exist no. back then. So I mean, that. you know, it's all good. <laughs> Um, I mean, radio is not the same either. Like, if somebody had been like, do you want a radio show about science fiction? I'd be like, I don't think that's real. <laughs> yeah, like, I can't even imagine that it would be on the radio today. Well, no. there might be, like, I mean, a radio show. Yeah, there might be something right. out there. Like, if NPR had, like, actually, if NPR had a genre hour, I oh, would yeah, be delighted. that would be awesome. Yep. Um, actually... Speaking of NPR, like, I knew that there was this show called, I can't remember what it was Mm. called. I used to listen to this one. It was stories, and they were talking about, um, it was nonfiction and fiction. I can't quite remember, but some of them verged on, like, the paranormal. So, (laughs) yeah, it was really cool. and more, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it was really interesting. I don't know, it was Mm -hmm. so long ago, but... But now we're doing but now it. We're so, doing it. Yeah. So it's awesome. Right. I'm so happy. Uh, so if you're new to the show, which you are, because this is episode literal one, um, what we're going to do is talk a little bit about news in the top half uh, from the worlds of sci-fi and fantasy. And then we are going to pick a theme for each show uh, to discuss a few recommended books. And this week's theme is alternate history, which is related to our news, as you will come to see. Um, but first, I am going to tell you a bit about our first sponsor. Which is us. It's Book Riot Insiders. More Yay, so awesome. Very exciting. Insiders is I'm cool. super excited about Insiders, but that's partly because, like, that's part of my job. Um, what it is, if you have not seen it before, is we have set up a special section of the site where you get exclusive content, a look behind the scenes. There's a new release calendar that is magical and will help you track books that are coming out in the coming months. And you can build a watch list to like keep an eye on your favorites so you remember to pre-order them or look back at them or whichever makes the most sense. It's sortable by genre. It's curated by our very own Liberty from all the books. Uh, it's super great. Um, um, and there's a bunch of other perks, too. You get a bookstore, a special store deal. Um, you get a, a special podcast featuring Sharifa, right, for the Read Harder Challenge. Yes. Mm-hmm. So exciting. Mm-hmm. So you can check out all of that at bookriot.com slash podcastinsiders. Uh, check it out. Give it a look. Sign up. Come join us. It's super bookish, which it seems like if you're listening, you should be interested in. 
Okay. I would hope so. I know, right? <laughs> it's not... so fun over there, too. I love the oh, whole man. insider setup. Yeah, it's good times. It's good times. The epic spots are all full, alas, but we do let novel level people know first when new ones open up. And uh, so, and the novel level of, of perks is pretty great in and of itself. All right, so on to our news. So I mentioned in episode zero that I was having feelings about Underground Railroad popping up on all of these um, award shortlist lists. Shortlist lists, yes. That's that's (laughs) how you say that. Mm -hmm. Good, correct? Shortlist lists. (laughs) We're doing good. Um, And... And I don't know, I have conflicting feelings about it. But before I launch into them, Sharifa, what do you think? Well, I I wanted to know what you thought because, oh. I mean, I loved Underground Railroad. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I'm I'm excited about it. So, yeah. but I didn't know if you had like like conflicting or upset feelings about it being on the list. Yeah, it's not so much upset as confused initially. And here's why, is because I, even though, okay, here, how am I going to say this? <laughs> I, I actually think that literary fiction is a marketing invention and not a real category. Um, but sometimes I fall prey to it. And in my head, Underground Railroad is a literary, like, historical literary fiction novel. Like, it's it doesn't... Oh, okay. It, like, it, in my head, it, it never occurred to me to classify it under science fiction and fantasy, which is silly because, as we're going to talk about in the second half of the show, alternate, alternate history is, traditionally speaking, a part of science fiction and fantasy, right? Like, yeah. it, it's considered part of the, the umbrella of the genres, as it were. But it, and I, like, I, obviously I've read the book and I loved it, and I know that the conceit of it is that the Underground Railroad is actually, like, a literal underground steam-powered railroad. But it, 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 it didn't even, like, it just didn't register in my head. So then when it started up showing up on all these lists, I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> You know what? I sort of, I kind of thought that that might be what what your issue was yeah. with it because when I read the Underground Railroad, there was when I read it, I didn't, I also didn't necessarily read it so much as science fiction or fantasy. So even though there was like magical realism, and I know that that's what you know Whitehead does, he does some magical realism, but it for some reason like it even though there was the component of the literal underground railroad, it didn't necessarily, it wasn't that big of a thing to me to classify the entire book as SFF. So Yeah, but I, but I don't disagree with it. Like, upon further thinking, it just, it, it doesn't feel science fiction-y or fantasy fantastical in the same way that like when you look at the rest of the short list yeah. like you know Becky Chambers and Yoon Ha Lee and like you know Very. Phil Locus yeah it's like Madeline Ashby and you know Sijin Liu like it's just it, it it's just they just exist in different corners of my brain so so it was kind of it, it, it's like it's good for me to get my brain straight on that <laughs> yeah it's it's a difficult thing like it's so and even when we were thinking about alternate history books Mm -hmm. like with genre it's sometimes there are so many gray areas it's difficult to figure out where everything fits in and I mean I don't know we can't know what um 
what process of thought went into the heads of the judges who came up with this list. But yeah, but so it's kind of difficult to be like, oh, well, is that is that fantasy or is this just literary fiction? And I feel like I have that that happens a lot with maybe more so with contemporary fantasy mm. late like lately i've been noticing that sometimes there's so much genre bending and mm-hmm. i can't really put anything into a particular box but as a reader that doesn't really bother me it's right. just it only comes up with these sorts of things exactly but, yeah yeah and and colson right colson whitehead wrote zone one which i adore and which is uh-huh. a zombie novel um although also a lot of people consider it like genre bending literary fiction which is fine um but i have no i like in my head immediately of course that's science fiction in a way that underground railroad didn't strike me yeah which again is just like it's just like a brain you know freeze or like a brain categorization thing but yeah I, you're like, what? <laughs> right. Wait a minute, what? And it's interesting, too. So I know a lot of, I know publishers can submit titles to a lot of these awards. Um, I'm guessing that's how it got on the Arthur C. Clarke long list. And then the judges put on the short list. That's my guess. Um, the yeah. Locus Awards are voted on by, like, the internet public. But oh, that's the, right. Yeah, but they yeah. but they do have like an editorial recommendations and it was on there. So 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 people other than me are deeply considering this as part of the science fiction and fantasy releases of this year. I just it just never occurred to me. <laughs> so that was so those were my feelings. <laughs> just and like, they are oh. totally reasonable feelings. But, well, I and I love the book it. though. Like I'm super excited to see it hopefully get introduced to new readers this way too, because I I mean it's already won so many literary prizes, but like if this means that more people will read it, like heck yeah, let's let's do that thing. I know, yeah. It was a oh, that, that book was so good. It was so yeah. heartbreaking. It was so, <laughs> it's such a gutting book. Oh man, it's rough. It is not rough. Yeah, it needs yeah. to come with a disclaimer just to prepare <laughs> yourself for some tears. I think liter- uh, Liberty would probably call it a five tissue book. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> it, totally, it is. It is. It I need is. The yeah, for sure. All so, right. Should Star ta- Trek. I was going to say, let's talk about Star Trek. Tell me about your, well, so specifically we're talking about this, the Discovery trailer, right? Yeah. And it's funny because I saw this and every time I see something about Star Trek, I just, I was never the person that watched a lot of Star Trek and knew all of the characters and knew each series and all that stuff. But I was always surrounded by people who knew everything about Star Trek. So when I saw this, I was like, maybe it's finally time for me to like (laughs) be in the know because this one sounds like interesting. I remember sort of like sometimes occasionally when i was at my friend's house watching um what was it the next generation sure if it's the patrick stewart one that was yeah next yeah, generation, yeah exactly when i was a kid i used to watch that and that was like you know i was like okay this this is good but this one the the discovery one actually looks like something i would want to watch and I need a new TV show. So <laughs> <laughs> it's nice that it's finally happening. It's been kind of bogged. Like I've been following the news of its development, and it's gotten very bogged down um, in just like all kinds of weird shuffling and stuff. But yeah, I, yeah, I, and because I've been following that, I have been very skeptical because I, I was like, a, my dad is the original nerd in our family, and I grew yeah. up watching The Next Generation and um, Deep Space Nine and Voyager 
sure. And Captain Janeway will always be my captain. Um, I don't care what anybody else says about Voyager. <laughs> captain Janeway forever. Um, but then after that, it just like, like I couldn't watch the, oh gosh, what was it called? The one that came after Voyager, which I have like deleted from my memory banks. Um, but uh, it wasn't, it was not to my taste. Um, and Enterprise. I'm looking at like oh yeah, Enterprise. Star Star Trek Enterprise. That sounds reasonable. But I've been watching the the new big movies and having very mixed feelings about them. Like uh, the, yeah, like uh, Star Trek Beyond was amazing and I loved it. And that is my favorite of those three new movies. Into Darkness was just like not. I did not like that one. <laughs> uh, it was not for me. Um, but so so I've been very like hot and cold all at the same time on Star Trek. Uh, for a lot of different reasons. But but now that I've seen this trailer, I I'm suddenly interested. Like I'm definitely interested in a way I was not before. So the trailer did a good job. And you know it's hard for me not to be interested in anything that Michelle Yeoh is in. Like I oh, yeah. love She's awesome. her. She's amazing. <laughs> Um, so, cool. so yeah, so it was a very, it was a very good trailer. Like it was, it was way better than I was expecting it to be. So, so yeah, so I'm now, I'm now on board in a way that I was not before. So. Well, didn't it say something like, I, I'm looking, scrolling through the article now, but did it say something like it was coming out, it was being released on some, it was like some sort of channel I hadn't, or app or something I hadn't heard of. I can't remember Let's what it is. Let's see. I'm Googling. What does it say? I should have actually looked it up. No, I think, I, was on, like, I think it's on CBS. I think it's CBS. Okay, CBS. Yeah, That's yeah, why I is. don't know because I, I don't have TV. So oh, I'm like. Like any <laughs> TV at all? No, I only watch like netflix yeah. i only have netflix and hulu so i'm like how many people do people still have tv will everybody be able to watch this <laughs> i mean i also don't have tv but a lot of um hulu does tend to get episodes as they come or i have also bought season passes for things on itunes like that's how i've watched most of oh, elementary yeah. for example or orphan black like i just buy the season pass of that and don't worry about trying to stream it and some of the tv sites you can stream episodes as they come out also so like you could go on your computer and oh, watch yeah, it potentially right. if, if they're doing it which they mostly do now but still um but this looks really cool and i think i mean i feel like i'm sort of i sort of have a the benefit of not being as mm. much of a Trekkie just because like maybe I'm less discriminating and I, <laughs> I'll probably be like, wow, I really love that and stuff. And people will be like, well, no, they got this wrong. <laughs> you know, like, I, I don't know about the tone of this because it doesn't match up with this other one. And right. so I'm like, I'm going to go into it with like fresh eyes and not try to like catch up on all of mm. the other series because you know that's something that I might be capable of doing I think that's I them wise <laughs> yeah I don't know like I'm not gonna catch if they get like a Vulcan's anatomy wrong or if like the <laughs> phaser doesn't work like I'm not gonna catch any of that I mean that would be impressive I know but... <laughs> I'm not that kind of Trekkie <laughs> but um but yeah I'm just excited for I mean first of all the trailer was revolutionary because there's never been that many POC on screen in like a main Star Trek crew yeah forever so that's super exciting in and of itself um but yeah no story-wise like it looks very dramatic and battle-y and all that good stuff so i know that's always exciting i've watched uh like i've 
I watched Battlestar Galactica. Oh, yes. And I've sort of been, like, waiting for something else to come after that, and I haven't really seen anything. So I'm hoping that this is kind of, like, just the ticket for for following up on a Battlestar Galactica binge. Well, that's interesting because I I don't know... I don't know because the show's not out yet how they'll do the tone, but traditionally Star Trek is not grim. Like Battlestar Galactica is very grim. Yeah, that right? was super dark. It's space noir esque, and um, and traditionally speaking, like Gene Roddenberry has, I think, talked about it in interviews when he was creating and working on the show, was that he was trying to make an optimistic space show. Like it was supposed to have hope and optimism and be more on the. I don't know if cheerful is the right word, but, like, not to be grim. Yeah. Um, And I think the movies have done, well, again, with the exception of Into Darkness, the movies have done a pretty good job of maintaining that tone. I mean, I think Star Trek Beyond particularly did a good job with it. Like, the the theme of that movie is Friendship is Magic, which is great. (laughs) Um, That's a great alternate title for the movie. I know, right? So, like, it's not just for Lumberjanes. It's for Star Trek, too. Um, But, but yeah, so I don't know that it will scratch. I mean, if you're just looking for battles in space, it should scratch the itch. Yeah, just the action-packed space adventure style. I mean, I don't necessarily need to have nightmares or... Right. Be, like, shaken after every episode <laughs> of sci-fi. I mean, a lot of the times I feel like with, with sci-fi, it is that very dark sort of... Mm-hmm. Uh, it's either dark or the sterile aspect of it. Oh, but yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm glad. I'm happy to go with, you know, a cheerful, hopeful sci-fi action-packed show. So I'm, I'm super amped. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. It does look very battle-y and war-y from the trailer, which is also not t- super typical for Star Trek. But but it's it's just a, you know, it's like a minute-long trailer. Who knows what it's going to be like? I know, yeah, you can't really tell, but... Mm-hmm. I guess we will. We will. Yeah. So do oh. you want to talk about the... Uh... Nebulous? I do. I do. All the Birds in the Sky by Charlie Jane Anders won Best Novel, which... I know. I was kind of surprised. Yeah. I mean, I loved it. Mm -hmm. I was Mm -hmm. just, for for whatever reason, I was surprised. I did not expect to see it there, but... But Charlie Jane Andrews is awesome. So. Yeah, we had her at Book Riot Live, and she was so great. And I do, I do really love that book. But I had the same response. I was super surprised, and I think it's because when you have heavy hitters like N.K. Jemisin mm-hmm. or Everfair by Nisi Shal or Nan Fox Gamut, which are like these really weighty, intense works, and have just a different yeah. tone than all the birds in the sky, right? Like, speaking of yes. things that are not exactly grim, like, all the birds is dramatic, but it's not super dark. Like, it has dark moments, but overall, it's a much more, I don't it's know. Kinda it's kind of whimsical or something. Yeah. There's, like, a whimsy to it, which yes. I really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I like that it was sort of like, well, these could be, like, you know, these could be people that I know, and these could be situations, of course, not with all magical stuff, but right. situations are like, but, like, the other ones were so, like, like out there so yeah. different and so and you're right heavy as well mm-hmm. um yeah yeah i had the same reaction and 
I mean, I'm glad they're all on this list. Yes. It's a, it's such a good list. It's such a good short list. And yeah. Yeah. And Charlie Jane, like she wrote an amazing, and that's her debut novel, which is also weird to think about. Like that's her debut novel. It's amazing. I mean, congratulations. That is is incredible. I'm like, wow. How do you do that? I know. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. Tell us your secrets. (laughs) Did you read that? Did you read Borderline? Because that one didn't ring a bell to me. That is the only one I haven't read. And it was on a couple other other awards list this year and I just like keep meaning to get to it and keep not getting to it but I have heard very good things from people who I trust who have also read it like that it's okay. it, but yeah it's the only best novel shortlist finalist that I have not read yeah I almost want to I don't normally like look at lists and try to read all of them mm-hmm. but I think with this one I'm already reading I'm like actually in the middle of reading Nine Fox Gambit oh yes <laughs> Yeah, it's I love so it good. So much. Talking about oh space more. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. I'm I'm actually listening to it on uh, as an audiobook. Oh, so nice. and it's actually really good on audio. So if anybody's thinking about about reading that one, it's awesome. Have you but, read yeah. any of the other category winners? Let's see. Um because I have not. I, I I felt very out of it that I had not read any of the other winners. No, wow. I don't think I have <laughs> That makes me feel a little bit better. I mean, I've read, wow. the, I've read the short story that Arrival is based on, but I didn't end up seeing the movie. And um, I, I saw the movie. It was, I liked it. It was like quietly dreadful, but yeah. it was really good. <laughs> well, that's what the story is like. So I'm glad to hear that they captured yeah. that. Yeah. I wanted to read the short story. I actually just, or, um, I just ordered on Amazon the the Ballad of Black Tom. So yes, I love because that one Victor looked good. Lavelle. Yeah, he's amazing. It's super good, super duper I know. good. I haven't read him yet, and I feel like out of it because I feel like everybody has everybody's read nah, him. He's time for me to catch somebody. up. Yeah, that's it. That's true. Yeah. I, I don't feel that bad. Yeah, but yeah, I. Yeah, I, I have definitely not read any of these other ones, so maybe I should go through the list and see if there's anything good. Yeah, I, I'm i already terrible at novelettes, and unless the short story was in a collection that I grabbed, like, I'm also not great at reading those. Um, yeah. So, it's, it's I haven't read... Yeah. I don't know if I've... Uh, I don't know if I've ever read a novelette. Like, I'll go short story and once in a blue moon novella, but... Right, right. I think I probably have, but I couldn't tell you what it was. Like, (laughs) I'm sure it's happened. I have no doubt that it's happened at some point. But, yeah. Cool. Well, I have to go through it and see what these are all about. Catch up with the times. Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, do you want to talk about our books for... Yes, yes. And this is an interesting category that I had never really thought about, to be honest. Like, I had never really – like, even I had to figure out from memory, like, what books have I read that are alternate history? And then when you put in the definition, I was like, okay, that makes sense. Like, (laughs) I was like, is this just something that takes place in history? Or does something have to happen that's specific to historical events, which it it seems like it does. Yeah. Yeah. And I, 
I think this is maybe a holdover from my bookseller days and just like shelving, but a lot of the alternate history that I've read was actually shelved with general fiction or historical fiction. So it, but so, okay. So I went and found the Wikipedia Yeah, because um, as I was thinking about Underground Railroad, I started thinking about alternate history more and more. And, um, and in Wikipedia, you know, it's uh, it, it basically describes it as a what if scenarios at crucial points in history and present out and present outcomes other than those in the historical record. Um, so sometimes they can be very factual or sometimes they can be very, you know, altered. Um, and it, it, you know, according to Wikipedia, the arbiter of all things, uh, yes. it, has, it can be seen as a subgenre of literary fiction, science fiction or historical fiction. So I'm oh not gosh. the only one confused about this. It is so confusing. And I I think that the thing that also that sort of tripped me up was that, like, maybe the events would be altered by... But I'm like, well, fantasy is kind of like nothing... Fantasy and sci-fi is like, well, nothing really is going to happen in these books that would have happened if it's set in, right. you know, history. Right, It's right. an alternate history because, I you mean, know. you're not, well, but is it, like, our history or is it a pseudo-medieval Europe? You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah, you. that's true. This, yeah. is, this is our history. So, yeah, yeah. Well, that is th- what... I think when you think about steampunk, which is a really good example of science fiction alternate history, because it mm-hmm. does rely really heavily on a technological viewpoint that's not standard, yeah. Th- then I think it makes more sense in my brain as part of, like, a, under the genre of science fiction or fantasy uh, to have alternate history there. But... Even more so, one of the books that I read and loved in the last year was Everfair by Nisi Shal, which is an amazing alternate history that she wrote, like, basically she decided that she was going, as the story goes, she decided during a panel at some convention that she was going to do like a a sort of steampunk inspired rewrite of of the Belgian Congo um which was one of like the worst human you know rights violations and genocides in our history uh and and she was going to do like a steampunk retelling of it and 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 that just doesn't sound like it's going to work right like that sounds like a crazy idea. Completely bonkers. <laughs> but it's so good. Everfair is great. Um, and so what she did was she took a bunch of different characters and over a longer time span, like I think it's maybe a decade or more, and it's so it's it's characters who are there's like a bunch of like rebel, communisty, socialist, you know, free love type people who want to set up their own society and go to the Congo to do it. Um, they've like purchased land there and they're going to set up their perfect utopian society there. And then there's the people who are under the rule of King Leopold of Belgium who are being, you know, enslaved and treated horribly to manufacture rubber. Um, and then there's a couple of other characters like from international things who are tied up in all of it and 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 the premise is sort of like what if 
the people of the Congo um, had had access to better technology? Like, would they have been able to fight off colonialization? Would, you know, that have all turned out really differently? And, and of course, it does in her version. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's still not great, but it turns out significantly better than what actually happened. And it's a time period that I didn't know a lot about to begin with. So then it was interesting to go and research a little bit, like, what did actually happen and see how she changed it. Um, but it was it's such a good read. It's such a fun book. Like there's airships and there's, you know, special arms that have interesting steam tech and um, it's got queer characters on the page and obviously a lot of, you know, people of different races because of the time period and the location. So it's a really it's I mean, she's doing so much in one book. It's I thought it was super impressive. Yeah, I love it when people come up with, like, authors come up with these ideas that are completely unlike anything you've ever seen. Like, it's so easy to fall into certain time periods, you know, and certain regions, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which both of uh, both of my books are sort of, uh, they, they fall into those sort of obvious regions and time periods, but mm-hmm. I love them anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, this one sounds pretty epic. I actually have not read Everfair yet, so... Add it to your theory I know, it has totally been on my list for so long, so... Well, and I'm happy you picked um, the first book on your list, because I also love that book. Sorcerer to the Crowns and show. So good. so awesome. Mm -hmm. And this one, like, this does take place, this takes place in England, and it's the Regency period, which is a period, like... I used to read so many Regency era novels, so yes. and I know like Zen Cho said the same thing. The reason that she she wrote this book and set it in England in the Regency era was because she used to read a ton of books from that time period and she used to love it. And there was like some mention um when she was talking about those books, she was surprised to find that you know, when they say the character was dark, it wasn't because they were dark skinned, it was because they had dark hair. So in this book, yeah, and I never, and I thought the same, I remember thinking that too, and kind of being like, oh, wow, it's like, you know, a dark character, like, where do they come from, blah, blah, blah. But it's just dark hair. So (laughs) which just was sort of disappointing (laughs) to me. But Sorcerer to the Crown is great, because it features, you know, a black, um, a black main character, Zachary's wife, and a mixed race woman, Prunella Gentleman, who's, um, I think she's half Indian and half white. I think her father was uh, yeah, British. Yeah. yeah. So that is, first off, like amazing and awesome, and I love it. And so in Sorcerer of the Crown, this one takes place uh, because it's the Regency era and it's England. They are also dealing with the French Wars, uh, the Napoleonic Wars, I believe. And that part of it doesn't really, I, I don't remember it being like a big part of the story other than the fact that, so the fairy has sort of taken, stripped England of a lot of its magical powers. And so they kind of have this dearth of magic and magic is an important part of the government and the system and defense. And so the British are dealing with the French and yet they don't have this magic that they've become accustomed to being able to wield um, for defense reasons. And so as this is happening, that's sort of the, the setup of the time period. And, as this is happening, Zacharias's mentor and his adopted father passes away, and Zacharias is a free uh, slave, 
And so there's like this complicated relationship between him and his mentor. And um, he ends up, Zacharias ends up becoming the Sorcerer Royal to the crown. And of course, because he's a freed slave and he's black, people are completely up in arms about it. And not only is like race an issue here, there's also the issue of gender where Prunella Gentleman is also a powerful sorcerer, powerful magician. And she's in a position where it's England in this time period. And like so many things of that time period, women weren't considered able to cope with things like, you know, knowledge and intellect and in this case <laughs> life life in general like everything <laughs> anything that wasn't like cleaning up house and uh <laughs> mending clothes yeah. yeah right and in this case she's you know they're not allowed to practice magic and so she's at this school where the women the young women are basically being trained to stifle their power which is a horrible horrible thing and so she's sort of, and she's very, like, brash, and she's sort of a survivalist. I loved her so much. And she sort of, you know, forces her way into Zacharias's company. And he's dealing with all of this stuff, like, dealing with people's attitudes toward him and their, you know, their resistance to his leadership. And then here's Prunella coming in, and she wants to learn. She wants to be his sort of, like, apprentice um, or his mentee, and he's trying to, he's very sort of prudish about the use of magic, and he's very careful about it, reasonably so, but she's like, you know, oh, I'm gonna use my magic, and, you know, I've got all these, I can, I can study, or I can, you know, just do things, like, by the seat of my pants, and so they kind of have this really fun dynamic, and, but there's also the serious issues of, like, there's post-colonialism and imperialism that's happening. And there's this one fun character that comes into the picture who's from uh, South Asia. Oh, yeah. So good. Ma- <laughs> Ma- Gengong. I, c- I can't pronounce the name right. <laughs> right. <laughs> she's hilarious. And she's so, like, she does not she does not try to soften the blow of her words so she was one of my favorite characters she's she's not here for anyone's shenanigans (laughs) she really isn't i love that yeah (laughs) so there's like you know these places that england is colonized and they're dealing with that and the french wars and while it doesn't it's not one of those situations where you know something huge happens that is completely different from Like, the things aren't, it's not like the French war changes or the results change in this book. But this is the first book also, so I'm really curious about, you know, where it'll go in the next next book. I can't remember how many there are going to be. I always want to say three because that seems like the standard. Yeah, who knows, though. Yeah, but I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes and how, you know, she sort of shifts history around and how magic plays a part in that. So mm-hmm. it's such an awesome book. I would read that over and over again. It might be <laughs> another another summer read that I have. I am already planning, I think 
I think, so the second one keeps getting pushed back, and I can't keep track of when it's supposed to be. Like, is it actually next year now, maybe? I think it's 2018. But it has been my plan for when there is an actual firm release date to reread the first (laughs) one. But I'm making myself wait until then. I don't know why. Like, I don't know why I'm doing that, but I am. (laughs) No, that makes sense, actually, because, you know, if you read it now and then it gets pushed, like, you might need to read it again. Like, I'm already sort of forgetting stuff about it that... Yeah, I, I wish I could remember. So yeah, um, well, thank you for the segue because speaking of things that change, <laughs> things about war. As I was thinking about this genre too, it struck me that almost every book, like there's a huge number of alternate histories about World War II. Like that is the thing that everybody seems to write about. Um, and I so then I started making a list of all the ones that I've read, which is just, you know, the tip of the iceberg. And I came up with four just off the top of my head, which seems wow. like a lot. I know, it's a lot. Um, so Kim Stanley Robinson, who you probably know from the Red Mars series, wrote a novella. Speaking of novellas, I'm bringing it all back. I'm bringing it all back. <laughs> he wrote a novella called Lucky Strike that is about um, the bombing of Japan at the end of World War II and, like, what would have happened if the bombardier had decided not to drop it or had, uh-huh. had deliberately dropped it not on Hiroshima. Like, what would anything have changed? Um, and and he's actually, there's not, he's written more than one about this, if I'm remembering correctly, which I think I am. Um, and it, it's really interesting because he, he, like, the line that a lot of authors want to walk is, you know, how much do small instances or big instances change the overall arch of history, right? Like, is there one person who can change it? Is there one moment that could change everything? Like, it's a very kind of interesting question that they like to play with. Um, I'm not going to Somebody tell you. breathes differently right, and everything exactly. changes. Right. A butterfly gets, you know, stepped on and then we <laughs> yeah. have, you know, right? It's like there's a different president 2,000 years later. Like what happened? Yeah. Um, and then the other one, well, no, number two, because I have four, uh, that I'm going to try to be quick about is The Man so. in the High Castle by Philip K. Dick, which is one of my all-time favorite books um, because it was just so weird. Like, I discovered it when I was a teenager, and I had never read anything like it. Um, and they've made a TV show out of it, which I refuse to watch because I'm, like, too <laughs> I'm too invested in the original. <laughs> but I was going to ask. <laughs> I, I have heard from other people that they've changed a lot of stuff, so, like, that's fine. Oh. I never need to watch it. It's fine. I'm sure it's great or whatever, but I don't need to watch it. Um but the man in the high castle is about what if yeah the axis had won world war 2 and like germany and japan have occupied the united states and the main characters are sort of moving through this very different landscape um, whether they're in occupied Japanese territory or occupied German territory and, like, what that world looks like. But then, because he's Philip Kedick and can't do anything straightforwardly, there's this added <laughs> sort of alternate dimension, like, the characters sort of are aware that maybe this is not what could have happened and there's this there's other weird sort of meta plot going on at the same time and it's a really intense and sort of brain-bending book um i haven't reread it in a while and i've been thinking a lot about it lately so that's that's headed towards the top of my list and that i definitely feel like is on the sort of fantastical spectrum like he's he's changing facts but he's also introducing this sort of like surrealism or whatever you want to call it 
He has such a labyrinthine mind. Oh, like, man. I don't know where these ideas come from. I know. It's so, I do love his stuff. It's His stuff is so weird. And, like, he doesn't write women particularly well. But his, yeah, yeah but it, but there's, he can be very compelling. He can be very compelling. And then more on the sort of very super realistic side is The Plot Against America by Philip Roth, which I don't think too many people know that Philip Roth wrote an alternate history novel, but he did. Um, <laughs> and it's about, it's not about the World War II per se, but it's about, uh, it's basically, it starts off with the Lindbergh baby. Um, and his theory in the book is that like Lindbergh's baby has actually been kidnapped by like German provocateurs and he's being forced to become like the fascist voice in America and like sort of try to work for the Nazis in America. So it's super unsettling and weird. Um, and, and the main narrator is a Jewish guy who's grown up in New York, like kind of watching these things unfold. It's very sinister. It's super sinister. And then I just finished reading all of the books in the Small Change series by Joe Walton, which there are three. So it's Farthing is the first one, Halfpenny is the second, and Half a Crown is the third. And she is going from the standpoint that Germany and England negotiated a compromise and a treaty that they call the Farthing Peace so that and America had like never entered the war. Um, and that, and so this is like looking at Germany or excuse me, looking at Britain. The first one starts in 1949, um, where there has been this peace established and Hitler has kind of gone on unchecked by Britain and the United States to like hold on to, you know, the territories that they've claimed and the Holocaust basically continues, um, and the weird thing about this series is that each is narrated by a different person and they're all young women in society and 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 to varying degrees are not super aware or clued in to what is going on so they have like they're almost a little like flippant about it. Oh. Yeah, it's really unsettling. It's uh. I, I find I found it very unsettling to read, to be totally honest. And like the whole series ends on an on an opt, a note of optimism about like how people can come to recognize and fight oppression and fascism, but individually, especially the first two are kind of bleak. You're like, oh man, this is not this is not a world I want to live in. Like this is awful. Except that the main character doesn't really know how bad it is for a lot of the books. Um, so it's it's a weird it's a weird unsettling reading experience, especially right now with you know the political situation being what it is. Um, it is I don't necessarily recommend it if you don't want to be stressed <laughs> out. If you don't want to be more stressed out about fascism, do not pick these up. I'm um, like shaking in a corner right I'm now. Sorry <laughs> about World War II. I know, but it's it's like a thing that everybody. So you know, ultimately, it makes me very grateful. At least for that piece of our history that it turned out in, I mean, awful, awful things happened, but like, you know, we, we did win that war. Yeah. So, so that's it's good. True. I guess. I guess like, you, ooh. Yeah. 
I guess when you just have the base of World War II as, mm-hmm. you know, the, the foundation of your story, it, you have to imagine that there is going to be at least some bleakness. Right. right. It can't all be Yeah, it's not a cheerful subject. I, I mean, neither is the Belgian Congo, obviously, right? Yeah, other, ever exactly. Fair. It's not super cheerful either. But that was a deliberate, like, move to make something super awful slightly less awful. Whereas yeah. these ones, I mean, depending on who's looking at it, can get worse than actual history. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so I'm going to talk about Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell by Susanna Clarke. And I ended up choosing this one after deciding not to choose the one that was going to be kind of a spoiler for alternate history, uh, which was more like a heist... Young adult, middle grade sort of read. But this one is definitely not, of course. Um, And this one... I chose because it's been compared often to uh, Sorcerer to the Crown because it's the same sort of time period. It's happening during the Napoleonic Wars, and that is the big event that's happening. In this book, it's it's more of um, an event because magic is being employed to fight in, you know, the war against the French – between the British. So in this one, and I feel like a lot of people probably already know at least something about Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell because, you know, they made a BBC show about it or series. And it takes place in an England where magic is sort of, magic is only practiced theoretically. There are theoretical magicians, but the Raven King, who is the most powerful magician of the North, is sort of part of the regional lore, I guess. But he's sort of of a bygone era. Nobody really thinks about him anymore. Um, and there is a magician named Mr. Norrell. And he practices among the theoretical magicians. And he's one of those people who's just like basically collecting a bunch of books and being like miserly about them and they're like those antiquated magical books but then in trying to help or assist in the fight against the french he exposes that he can actually he can actually practice magic and he can employ it and he does end up employing it in kind of a reckless way and then Another person, another magician, Jonathan Strange, comes along and he's like the new young magician in town and he wants to be taught under Mr. Norrell. But Mr. Norrell is kind of insufferably prudish about the use of magic and Jonathan Strange is a little bit more, um, you know, he he wants to practice magic the way he wants to practice magic and Mr. Norrell is more like the bookish magical practitioner. So because of Mr. Norrell's, even though he's very brutish about his magic, he makes a sort of reckless decision. And because of this decision, the king of fairy comes into the picture and starts meddling in everybody's affairs. And he um, ends up getting into the lives specifically of a character, Lady Pole, who is a friend of Jonathan Strange's wife, Arabella, and she's, you know, a noble woman and somebody Mr. Norrell is trying to get close to. 
So she ends up being affected by Miss Neural's meddling, and then the Fairy King comes into her life, and then into Arabella's life, and then one of my favorite characters in the book was Stephen Black. Oh, Stephen Black. Stephen Black was the best, and mm-hmm. I sort of like, there were so many characters, quite honestly, that I found really insufferable <laughs> in this book, and it was sort of like, every time I came across Stephen Black, I was like, ah. <sighs> Thank you. I just want to read about him all day. <laughs> he is the voice of reason. Although he confessed to also loving Childermas, who is like, you know. Childermas was awesome. Very was, roguish. I totally agree. He was like the cool cat character. Yeah, chaotic neutral, as it were. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. He was awesome. Uh, but Stephen Black is... Um, Sir Walter's butler. He's black and he's very fastidious and like moral minded. Yeah, exactly. He's the voice of reason. And he becomes a favorite of the fairy king and that that causes some trouble and wreaks some havoc. So there are all sorts of things that are happening in this book. And it is one of those reads where you have to be very willing to read like huge, like half, there are so many footnotes where they're like half a page and that was I found that really difficult (laughs) but if you love that stuff and it's very it's almost like academically literary super academic and I know there are people that you know eat that stuff up and I yeah So you love this book. So. I, well, I did. I'm a history major. Like, footnotes are oh, my yeah. jam. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, my gosh. I, I feel like it's been, like, half an hour, and I've yeah. only gotten through, like, three pages. It's slow. It's so slow. <laughs> it's really slow. And it's a big it's – a, it's a hefty book. Mm-hmm. So, But, yeah, if you love that sort of thing, like, this is a really great book for it, and I also did sort of learn a little bit more about history. I, di- I didn't know really much about the Napoleonic Wars. I am not a history. I was never a history major, so <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I am one of those usual people who's like, I, I should really know more about history than I do, but I like to get it from my fantasy and sci-fi <laughs> <laughs> if I can. Why not? Yeah, why not? I'll just I'll figure out what's true and what's not through Wikipedia. Thank yeah, you, Wikipedia. that's right. <laughs> I'll Google it later. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, that was my – so that's my last pick. And Nice. Well, I think that's our show. Um, yeah. Thank you so much to everybody for listening to our very first episode. Huzzah. Um, <laughs> thank you to our sponsors, which was us. Uh, check out Book Riot Insiders at bookriot.com slash podcast insiders. If you would also, if you're listening to this and you have an iTunes account, please do leave us a review on iTunes. We would love to hear what you think of the show and it will help other folks to find us. Uh, so that would be super amazing. Please, please do that. Um, you can, let's see, I'll tell you where to find me and then Sharifa will tell you where to find her. So I am also a co-host on the Get Booked podcast. And I write the weekly Swords and Spaceships newsletter, which is also dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. And I am on the, of course, you know, if you're a read harder um, or if you're an insider, then you can catch me on the Read Harder podcast. I'm also on Twitter, even though I don't really go on there much. But (laughs) if you want to talk to me on Twitter, I'll see it. And I'm at S-Sign of Williams. That's S-C-A. 
I-N-A-B Williams. And you can find me everywhere, really, by that name. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> and that's our show. Thanks for listening. Bye. Thanks for listening.